You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Hey, good morning, Radiant Church. You guys doing well this morning? I hope, yeah. A few of you are doing well. All right, just a few of you. All right. Hey, listen, it's, I think it's going to be 39 today uh, here in Bay City, Michigan, so downright balmy for us Michiganders. And so get your shorts on. We'll play a little three-on-three basketball later on, hopefully. All right, it's going to be a good day. Hey, if you're new with us, thank you for showing up. We love you guys. Um, Radiant Church is a place where we hope you will encounter Jesus himself, like the life-changing presence of God right here. So thank you so much for making Radiant a part of your weekend. I want to give you an update. Just a few weeks ago, we had asked you to collect or bring in some snacks so we could take care of some kids in our community who are impoverished, who uh, had less than all of us here today, and we could uh, do good in our city. And you guys did amazingly. Let me just tell you that we had enough snacks for all three schools. Go ahead and put that photo up right there behind me. Such good news, you guys. So we provided snacks for Bangor Central Elementary, Bangor Lincoln, which is just kitty corner of us right here, and Bangor West. We had so many snacks that we gave the extra to the daycare at Bangor Central because they also care for a lot of kids in our city as well. So listen, Thank you. Thank you for showing up, you guys. Marcus said, thank you for your generosity. We wouldn't be able to do ministry without your generosity right here. Lives are being changed because you're giving, you're going above and beyond to take care of people in our city. So thank you for just letting God use you, honestly, and for being a bright light in our city. And thank you to Laura Arnold. I think she's She's somewhere here in our building probably. Thank you to her for all of her organizational work, the behind the scenes that it takes to really get this done. So we're so grateful. Well, today, listen, we're in part number four of a message series entitled Christ Culture Church. We're walking through this letter. It's found in the New Testament in in the Bible, and it's written by a guy named Paul. And Paul was a man who, he wasn't a believer at first, He got radically transformed and changed. Paul, he had an encounter with Jesus and it changed his life. And we believe the same thing here at Radiant Church, that when you meet Jesus, listen, now I'm not just talking about religion. I'm talking about you meet Jesus and everything changes, amen? And so listen, Paul met Jesus literally and it changed everything. He became a missionary, an evangelist, and he started churches all throughout Asia Minor. And one of those churches that he started was in the city of Corinth. Now, Corinth, if you don't know, is located in Greece. It was located in Greece. It was a major port city, but unfortunately, the church in Corinth was plagued with many, many problems. It was like a very dysfunctional church because of the sins of the city had permeated into that church. So when Paul writes this letter, what he's doing is he's bringing clarification for what is the gospel? What does it mean? And then he's also bringing correction. So there's a few times Paul has to come down with the hammer and he's like, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. He's bringing clarification and also giving correction and some guidance there. And so this morning we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And last week we had a big talk about human sexuality. If you didn't listen to that message, go back. It's about an hour long sermon. There's a lot to uh, unpack there. We talked about sex. We're going to talk about sex a little bit more today, okay? So if that interests you at all, that's going to be what we're talking about. We're going to talk about sex inside of marriage, though, what God, how God designed it to be. We're going to talk about um, celibacy and being single and what those things be, what those things are, excuse me, because these are all the issues Paul addresses in chapter 7. So it's going to be very practical, whether you're married, whether you're single, it doesn't matter. Listen, there's going to be something here for you today, I promise you. If you have a Bible, join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I want to read the first five verses for you. 
And then we're just going to go ahead. We're going to take a few seconds to pray. And then we're going to let God breathe on his word. This is his word we believe in. God speaks through it. So go ahead and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Here's what it says. Paul says, now for the matters you wrote about. So he's answering questions that they had had uh, about certain issues. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality uh, is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with, with her own husband. And the husband should fulfill his marital status or marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but she yields it to her husband. Now, in the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Verse number five, do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So we're going to talk about those first five verses and even more today. It's going to be so good, so good. So would you take a moment? Would you pray with me? And then we're going to get into uh, this conversation about marriage and about sex and about singleness and celibacy and how that has to play into our world Today, it's going to be so, so good. I'm excited to deliver this word. But let's pray together. Father, we love you. You are good. All hail King Jesus. Man, there is just something on the inside of us that just wants to bow down to you. All of our hearts cry out, holy, holy, holy. God, we were created to worship. And if we're not careful, we'll worship other things instead of looking to you. Today, God, we ask that you would just align our hearts, Lord, uh, with yours. Father, if um, someone is far from you, would you just open their eyes so they can see you and experience you, taste and see that the Lord is good. He is good. Father, I pray that you unlock deaf ears and you softened, hardened hearts. Father, we pray, just like you did in first service, that you would heal marriages today, Lord. Father, I pray that single people would see the value that there is in being single as well, God. I pray for those who maybe have gone through a ugly divorce. Lord, would you heal hearts? Would you encourage them, God, as we will talk about divorce as well today, God? So, Lord, just do the work that I cannot do by your spirit. We need to hear these words, God, so desperately, Lord. Encourage your people today as I speak. In Jesus' name, we pray. All God's people said, amen, amen. All right, so I want to begin uh, this morning by talking about uh, Paul is addressing some of these topics. The Corinthians had a bunch of questions. They were questions, again, about marriage, sex, right, singleness, celibacy, divorce, remarriage. And so Paul is trying to address some of these issues here. And then in the next chapter, chapter 8, Paul's going to talk about Christian liberty, What can we and cannot do? What do we have the freedom to do and not to do, okay, as Christians, as believers? And that's chapter 8. We're going to look at that next week, so you're going to want to be here. We'll talk about all kinds of good issues and very relevant issues as well. Um, You might remember from last week when we had the big sex talk, you might remember that we at the very end of the message or the end of the chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says this line, this phrase, he kind of really seals the deal with this phrase. He says, honor God with your body, right? Honor God with your body, no matter where you're at, single, married, whatever you're going through right now, honor God with your body. And I want you to take that phrase and we're going to take that phrase and we're going to Put it on top of chapter 7 so that everything that we read today, it'll be, some of it may be a little, little dicey, a little difficult, okay? Uh, uh, stay strong, stay true with us, stay, stay the course with us, the whole, the whole message. I, I promise it's going to minister to your heart wherever you're at, okay? But listen, I, I, wanna, I want us to place that phrase, honor God with your body, over chapter 7 as we look at marriage, singleness, divorce, being celibate, all all of those things, because that's what Paul is going to address here, because the idea is is that our bodies matter to God, and what we do with our bodies matter. 
Because Paul said that our bodies, listen, um, corporately and then individually, listen to this. It's not just our bodies, but they were bought at a price. They were bought by Jesus when Jesus gave his life on that cross at Calvary some 2,000 years ago. Listen, he bought our bodies and our bodies are going to be redeemed one day. He's going to give us a new body. When Jesus comes back, we're going to have glorified bodies. Because for us as believers, death is not the end. Amen? Death is not the end. In fact, it's only the beginning for us who follow Jesus. So what we do with our bodies matters. And then relationships matter. Because everything that we do, all of our lives are circled around, guess what? Relationships. And relationships cause us great joy and, and happiness and peace. But if a relationship has gone bad in your life, guess what it does? Man, it brings a lot of pain, doesn't it? A lot of heartache, um, a lot of grief. So right now, maybe some of you are he you're here this morning and you're walking through, it's a, it's a dating relationship, it's a marriage re relationship, and it's gone sour. And maybe you're here this morning and your heart is hurting. We want to encourage you this morning. So back to verse number one, Paul says this idea. He's writing and he says, it's good. It's in quotes because it's what they have said. It's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And so I think a lot of us are like, wait, what? <laughs> like, well, that doesn't make any sense. But here's Paul's point. Remember, he's answering a question. Point number one being this. Being single is good, but it can also be tempting, okay? So I want to highlight this for a few moments. Being single is not bad. The Bible doesn't view it as being bad or less than. Let me just be very clear uh, with that this morning. If you're single this morning, for whatever the circumstance is, the Bible does not view you as less than or less important or whatever, however you want to look like. I think we need to emphasize that because so often, I think in Christian circles, what we do is we idolize marriage, right? We idolize marriage. We put marriage on a pedestal. Now, marriage is a gift and it's really good. But listen, we got to be careful that we've not made it into an idol. If we're not careful when we talk to different single people, you know, we can be like, you know, hey, why, why, why aren't you married? Are you going to get married sometime? Well, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you married yet, right? If we're not careful, we can make single people feel like second-class citizens, right? Because we, we've put such... Uh, We've put marriage on such a pedestal. Paul says, no, wait, 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 wait. It's like it's good to be married. It's good to be single, though. Those are both actually gifts, and we'll talk about that today. Um, I was married later in life. I didn't get married at an early age. Some of you got married early, and that's awesome. That's great. But I got married a little bit later in life. I was 33 years old when I got married to my wife, Carrie, and she was, well, I won't tell you how old she was, but we got married both later in life. We had uh, come out of some crappy, if I can say that word here, relationships, and um, I'll be honest with you, um, quick fast fact about me you may not know is I was previously engaged to a girl to get married to her before marriage. And um, she was in Arizona. I was in Michigan. Uh, she was a believer. I had lived in Arizona for a few years, and that's when I met her. We got, I, I actually flew to Arizona with the ring, and then uh, we were engaged for five days, and then I called it off. I was like, this is not going to work. Okay. So red flags were everywhere. I came back to Michigan, and I was heartbroken. I was devastated. But can I be honest with you? When I came back to Michigan after that trip, I was like, man, what's wrong with me? Like, what? like I didn't get hit with the ugly stick, did I, God? Like, come on, like, you know. Like, I wear deodorant. I don't smell, do I? Like, I'm just, I'm just being real. Like, okay, what, what's wrong with me? I started to question who I was because... My heart was, I mean, honestly, I did not have the gift of singleness. I knew that right away, okay? Uh, my heart was set on being married. When I met my wife, um, listen, we, we started to have conversations about sort of lifelong future goals kind of early in the dating relationship because we were a little bit older already. We had, we had more life experience. I wouldn't really recommend that to an 18-year-old or anything. But listen, we, we were older uh, in, with life experience, and so... At some point, I just kind of said, hey, girl, I'm getting older, so you want to do this marriage thing or not? Because I'm in it to win it, if you know what I mean, right? And so <laughs> I was like, we got, we got to make this happen, okay? 
I'm getting older. And so listen, anyhow, my point is it's easy for us to see, it's easy for you to see yourself as less than or not as good as someone else if you're single right now. But I want you to hear the words of the Bible. Singleness is good. Like, it's okay to be single. There's nothing wrong with it. Singleness is good. It's not the most popular option, okay? But it has its benefits, and I'll talk about that a little bit later in our message today. Singleness is a gift, okay? It's a gift is what the Scripture says, but it's a gift that sometimes is a gift that we don't know what to do with. You know what I mean? Have you ever received a gift at Christmas you didn't know what to do with? You're like, this robe is hideous. What am I going to do with those slippers are the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. What am I supposed to do with that? You're like, I don't know. Like, and you're like, hey, 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 thank you. You're like, oh. Right? The Chia Pet that you got in 1999, you remember that, right? Like, what am I to do with that, right? Singleness is like that gift sometimes. We're like, I got the receipt, God. You can have it back, all right? I don't want that gift. And I'm just saying you can have that gift back because I'm not meant to be single, okay? Singleness can be like that. But listen, I want to talk a little bit more about how singleness is a gift towards the end of my message. Now, Paul gets back to married life. Point number two, marriage is also a good gift, okay? Marriage is also a good gift. Genesis chapter 2 has already told us about marriage, that marriage is between one man and one woman for a lifetime, a covenant uh, in the eyes of God. God gets to define marriage. We don't get to define marriage. The state doesn't get to define marriage. God defines marriage. And we saw last week that marriage, listen, is rooted in creation. It's repeated by Jesus. Jesus does not redefine marriage, okay, like some people think, like, want to claim that he's done. He does not redefine marriage. And it's also reflective of, the, of Christ and the church. We talked about those three big points last week, so important for an orthodox view of biblical sexuality in marriage. And Paul says marriage is a, is a good thing. He says there's a lot of sexual temptation out there. So listen, yeah, you know what? A man should have a wife. A wife should have her own husband. And that's a, that's a good gift. And that's that's to be enjoyed. And let me just say this. Singleness with celibacy is also uh, the only approved way to do singleness in the Bible, by the way. Singleness and sleeping around with different partners is called fornication, okay? And that's sin in the eyes of God. Let, let me, I want to be clear about that. So in Scripture, if you're single, the idea is honor God with your body. You're like, well, why? Why do I got to do that? Because I promise you on the other side of that sexual relationship will be a lot of devastation and hurt and depression and grief because the Bible says that two shall become one. The intimacy, if you're a teenager and you have sex with multiple partners, when you break up, you think it's okay, it leaves you tore up, though. It leaves you devastated. It may sound amazing and glorious and what everybody is raving about, it's just a bunch of lies. It's a bunch of garbage, okay? And so we see that sex in the Bible is confined for a man and woman in the confines, of course, of marriage. And I want you to look at verse number three one more time because Paul says if you're married, he says, listen, um, don't withhold sex from one another. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about sex and marriage for just a few moments. Verse number three says this, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but listen, yields it to her husband in the same way. The husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Then come back together again so that Satan will not tempt you because y'all can't control yourself, so you need to come back together. I say this as a concession, not a command. In other words, Paul is saying, listen, this is not a command. I'm just saying that if you're going to not have sex for a period of time, it, there has to be some stipulations here. It's for specific reasons, what Paul is trying to say. So point number three is this. Sex within marriage is good. Amen, church? Just a few people. Like, come on, say it like you believe it. Sex within marriage is good. Okay. I was like, what is going on here? It's, like, it's okay. It's okay. Some people, according to scholars, believe that sex within marriage was supposed to be what? Abstained from. Some people were believing that in Corinth. And Paul's like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's fine. It's good. Like, if you're married, 
Like, yes, enjoy the gift of sex that God has given you. Husband, your, your, your body doesn't belong to just you alone. It actually belongs to your wife. Wives, your body doesn't belong to you alone. It belongs to your husband. And, and inside of marriage, there is this very orientation. There's this orientation of service, that we serve one another. That's the heartbeat of Paul's theology. This might be new to some of you, and you're like, I don't know if I like this. This sounds chauvinistic. This sounds like, just, just hold on. I'll, I'll explain, okay? I, I, get, I get where you might be coming from, but this is not the heartbeat of Paul. This is not chauvinistic, okay? This is not sexist. Um, just hold on with me, okay? Paul says, if you're going to come apart for a little bit, three stipulations. Number one, it has to be agreed upon. Number two, it's, it's for a limited time, okay? It's like, hey, how long can we go without having sex? I don't know. I'm not playing that game, all right, okay? It's like, and then, number three, to devote yourself to prayer and fasting, okay? If I can just be real today. To devote yourself to prayer and fasting. Paul says, after that, come back together, okay? Why? Because, listen, the devil loves to lure you out of sexual relationships with your spouse. He loves to lure you and tempt you. And furthermore, you can't. You, you don't have any self-control is what Paul is saying. I had a pastor once tell me, Pastor Dwayne Vanderklok, Marcus, you remember Dwayne. Uh, pastor Dwayne would say this, that when you're single, uh, Satan tempts you to jump into bed with whoever. And when you're married, Satan tries to get you out of bed with your spouse. Well, I had to preach. Okay? And you're like, this is uncomfortable, I know, but we got to deal with it because the scripture talks about it, Okay? So the scripture talks about this idea of husband's body doesn't belong to him, himself only. A wife's body doesn't belong to her only. They belong to one another and they serve one another. Now, let me also say this, because for those of you who are, there's a bit of reservation maybe perhaps. Point number four is this. Sex is never a weapon to fight with. It's a tool to build with. So married couples, sex is not a weapon to fight with. Sex inside of a marriage should never be, well, you said that last week, so I'm sleeping on the couch for another 14 days, so good luck. You can't have this. Okay, you're laughing because it's getting close to home, or I don't know. I don't know. Hey, this is real news. This is real. Can we get real today? Come on, come on. We got we to gotta deal with the issues, Okay. These are issues we're facing in culture. we got to deal with them in the church because marriage in the church is not any better, actually, by, by the way. There's probably almost more divorce in the church. So sex is never a weapon to be weaponized. You never weaponize it. It's always something that you build with, okay? So we should never say, well, hey, well, you said that two weeks ago, and so you can't have me, and I am not doing this, and you're, you're weaponizing sex. What you're doing is you're only building bitterness and guess what? Resentment. And then here's what happens. Paul has already addressed this. You don't have any self-control. Here's what happens. A married couple normally should look towards one another for their sexual desires to be satisfied. And when the one person is like, well, you can't have this. And here's what happens. You start to look outwards. And then the guy says, the husband says, man, she's cute at work. And she's so sweet to me. And, man, she's, I don't know. I'm not, I don't my heart, Pastor, my heart is drawn to her. Like, is it wrong? Like, I just want, man, she's just so nice. And she just treats me with respect. And, and then the wife is like, over here, he's attentive to my needs. He tells me how beautiful I am. And I just, I don't know, something about him, Pastor Marco, it just, I'm drawn to him. I, I want to get to know him a little better. And then the they start to look outside, and then if that keeps happening, it starts first with the, our emotions, and what happens after that it becomes physical, right? So the heart is being geared towards someone else. This is Paul's point. Paul says, listen, you're gonna, you can't control yourself. You're going to start looking in other places if you're not getting it met at home. Now, on the very same tip, I also want to say this. This verse doesn't mean, it does not mean 
that any one of the spouses can simply say, well, Bible says you're, you know, you're supposed to have sex whenever I want to, so I want to have sex right now, so we're going to, right? That, no, that is not the attitude, right? It's not the attitude. No, I'm serious, because some people take it like that. It's like, well, the Bible says, so you know, whenever I want, however I want, right now. Here's what the scripture says. Paul says, you've got to look at the whole of scripture when it comes to marriage. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and what? Gave himself up for the church. Wives, submit to your own husbands, not to just any man, to your own husbands, what? Godly and humble leadership. So when the, when the husband is serving his wife, he's willing to lay his life down for her, the wife can gladly come under his authority. It doesn't mean that one has more. This is not a relationship of dominance. If you came out of that, if your dad was domineering, your grandpa walked around like women were his sexual objects, that is not the heartbeat of Scripture. Amen, church? It is a relationship of service where the, the husband lays his Life down for his wife. He's willing to take a bullet for his wife and kids, literally. The wife can come under that kind of submission because she knows that her husband is serving her, and they mutually serve one another. You can't have an I-marriage. You can have an iPhone, but you can have an I-marriage, okay? It can't just be all about you. It has to be about serving one another. Another. So listen, we don't use sex as a weapon. It's used to serve one another. Verse number seven, let's keep going in the text. Paul says this, I wish all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift. Paul was single, by the way. That's what he's saying here. Paul says, I wish I'd save you a lot of drama if you're single. That's what he's saying. There's a lot of drama. He's like, it's a gift, though. Just hear his heart. It's a gift. We get this. But he's like, hey, I wish you were like me. Each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, he's talking about their passions, right? Sexual temptations. If they cannot control themselves, they should what? Marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Point number five, both singleness and marriage are gifts from God, and they should be treated as such. Okay? They're both gifts from God. Singleness with celibacy is a gift. Being married is a gift. Let me just be clear this morning. The problem is not singleness. The problem is acting like you're single when you're married. The problem is acting like you're married when you're single. That's the problem. Paul says, let me bring some correction here and some Correct theology as well. Paul says in verse 9, better to marry than to burn with passion. I, I, know, I know too many Christians that have used that verse as just sort of liberty. Paul is not saying just to marry the first person with a heartbeat so you can have sex. That's not what he's saying, okay? We have to be careful that we're not leading our young people to just idolize sex so much they just want to jump into the first relationship and they want to get married so quickly without even knowing the other person, without taking some time to actually get to know that person's heart and their life. This is why Carrie and I, we always advise couples not to live with one another before they're married. Unfortunately, that happens just as much in the church now as it is as it does in the world. But we say, hey, don't put the cart before the horse because when you have sex and you're not married, sex is like blinders and it blinds you to the shortcomings of the relationship, right? And if you're enjoying sex to such a point, you're gonna be like, well, I don't wanna get out of this relationship because the benefit is sex. And like, well, right? So listen, we're just like, hey, don't live together. Just do it the Lord's way. Don't do it your way. Well, I feel, you don't understand. I do understand, okay? I get it. I'm a real person. I would also say this to people. Listen, don't date to save. Don't date to save. You're not the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. Besides this, listen, you cannot be the prize for someone coming to the Lord. Hey, if you know, hey, you know, I really like you. You're really cute, and you got nice, you know, six-pack of abs and everything, but if you go to church first and accept Jesus, then you can take me to Uno's. 
And the guy's like, well, pff, who knows? And you, like, yeah, sign me up. Okay, yeah, all right. And it's like, no, that's, that's, no, you're not the prize, okay? <laughs> Jesus is the prize. So here's what needs to happen first. You have your own relationship with Jesus, okay? He has his own relationship with Jesus. And then when you meet, you're already, you're equally yoked. And I know that doesn't sound super fun, but can I just tell you, it, oh, Hours upon hours upon hours of pastoral counseling. <sighs> you would save your pastor from all these conversations, okay? <laughs> and the pain and the strife on the other. Well, we slept together, pastor, and I didn't mean it. We just fell in the bed at the same time. We we're like, whoops, oh! And my pants flew off at the same time. I'm like, wow, that's, a, that's wild. Well, that's amazing. Sometimes I'm like, you know how that works, right? You do understand. Okay, I'll stop from there, all right? We'll keep going. I digress. <laughs> all right, let's keep going. Hey, if you have a Bible, I want you to do this. We're going to switch gears. Turn to Matthew chapter 19. Smartphone, you can do it there. Matthew chapter 19. I want to talk about divorce a little bit. I want to talk about the words of Jesus. Jesus talks about divorce in Matthew chapter 5, but we're going to go to Matthew 19 because there's more verses there when it comes to divorce here, I promise I will be sensitive, um, but let's just look at what Jesus says. Let's let Jesus be Jesus. Amen? Awesome. Cool. Here's, here's what it says. Verse number three, you guys. Verse number three. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Let's pause right there. Here's what's happening. The Pharisees want to trap Jesus in a conversation, a discussion about divorce. During that time period, there were two schools of thought, two schools of rabbinic thought when it came to divorce and marriage. One school was very liberal. One was very, a lot more rigid, okay? The liberal, the liberal school uh, of rabbinic thought said that you could get a divorce for any and every reason, okay? As long as it was deemed unclean. So, so legitimately, Jewish men could get from this school of thought, from this rabbinic, this rabbi would say this, a certain rabbi, if she talked to another, another man, you could get a divorce. If she wore her hair down, you could get a divorce. Unclean. If she burnt the toast, it's over, right? You get a divorce. Now, the more strict side, the other side of this was a viewpoint that said you could only have, divorce was only allowable uh, for unfaithfulness, sexual immorality, when the other person slept with someone else, okay? Can you guess which view the Jewish men preferred? The every reason one, right? Like, just want to be able to get divorced whenever we feel like it. We don't, this is what they were thinking, to be honest with you, okay? Verse number four, haven't you read? He's like, don't you guys read your Bible? Come on, you guys. Haven't you read at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Okay. Now look at verse number seven. Why then, they asked, did Moses, and look at the word there, it's command. Hold on to that for just a moment. Why did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away, send her packing? Jesus is going to bring correction to that in the next verse. Jesus replied, Moses, what does it say there? Permitted. What is that telling us? That's telling us that these Pharisees took what Moses said as a commandment and not just giving permission for so Jesus is saying, ah, no, 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 no. Moses didn't command you to get a divorce for any reason you wanted to. Moses permitted it. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were what, church? Hard. Marriages struggle when the heart hardens. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Those are pretty sobering words, right? The disciples said to him, well, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, well, you know what? We're going to stay single. It's better not to marry. 
Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way. There's a, there's a deformity on their sexual parts. They were born that way, and, they were, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. In other words, people who would serve in the king's chambers were made eunuchs so that they were not tempted either way to, to, to do something sexual and to get in all types of sin. And then he says this, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. And so listen, here's what we see in Scripture. We see that divorce, that Scripture gives two allowances for divorce. Number one, it's infidelity when the other person cheats, okay? Number two, it's abandonment or desertion. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Some might ask, what about physical abuse? Well, I know many scholars who would say um, physical abuse is the equivalent to desertion. The husband has clearly stopped loving his wife if he's beating her. I would never, never advise a woman to stay in the household where she's physically getting beat up. Never. There needs to be a serious intervention there, of course. Now, on the other hand, I, would, I never want to diminish the words of Jesus. He says this, what God has joined together, let no man separate. So we see, well, this is some tension in this scripture. And maybe some of you are like, oh. Because listen, I know this divorce hits all of us. All of us have been impacted by divorce one way or another. All of us, myself included, okay? And so Jesus, we've heard Jesus talk about marriage. Now we're going to hear Paul talk about marriage. This is why I wanted to go there. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians 7 to verse number 10. Here's what it says. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. When he says not I, but the Lord, he's saying this. He's saying Jesus has already spoken about this. So this issue is a clear issue from Scripture. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must, not, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife Okay, so what is Paul doing here? Paul is applying the scripture in a very pastoral way with different questions and scenarios. Because I understand some of us are like, hey, I did not choose divorce. He chose it for me. I fought for it. And I would say, we, we, we want to come along your side. We want to help you heal from that hurting. We want to care for you. We, our hearts are open to you. We understand there, this happens in a broken and fallen world. I've talked to many people who have told me, I did, Pastor Marco, I fought for my marriage for months and months and months. She would not budge, right? And, 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 and this happens at times in, because of the brokenness in our world. Look at verse number 13. And if a woman has a husband who's not a believer, or wait, did I jump ahead? No, for, yeah, 13. And if a woman has a husband who's not a believer and is willing to live with her, um, she must not divorce him. Okay, so talking about if you marry an unbeliever, if your husband or your wife is an unbeliever. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would not, or your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are Holy. So let me speak to that issue here for just a moment. So, so first Paul talks about believers, and, and believers marrying other believers, and then he talks about believers who have married unbelievers. Or maybe you're a believer, or maybe you both got married a long time ago. You were not following Jesus, but you came to faith, but your husband didn't, or vice versa. And so you're thinking to yourself, well, what am I going to do? Like, what, what am I going to do? Paul says if, you can, if they're willing to stay, stay married, okay? If they're willing to stay, stay married. Married, okay? He says this because it's this idea that sometimes, listen, church, sometimes God blesses the household just because of one person in the family. Sometimes God blesses an entire household because of one person of faith in the family. Isn't that amazing? He's saying, he doesn't say that they're saved. Okay? He says sanctified. It means to be set apart, to be made holy, to be blessed. I heard one Bible teacher explain it like this. Let's say that you're the wife, your husband's not following the Lord, 
And it's like you're standing under a spout, and the spout has water that comes out of it. And the water represents blessing in, over your life. But by default, your children are standing next to you, and your husband is even somewhere in the room as well. So by default, listen, you get the most of the water that comes on you, but then it splashes onto who? Your children and your husband. So what it means is this, is that your children are blessed. Your husband is being blessed. Now, he may not recognize it. He may not know it. But because of your faith, there's a blessing in the household. It's this idea that God blesses an entire household because of one believing spouse. It happens by default. Again, it doesn't mean that they're saved. Paul never says that. He would not have called them unbelievers if they were saved, automatically saved. They might get saved. They might not. I don't know. Paul says you never know. Let me give you some examples. In the Old Testament, the household of Laban was blessed because of Jacob. Laban actually admits this. You can look it up in Genesis 30. What about Potiphar? Anybody remember the story of Potiphar and Joseph? Old Testament, look it up yourself. Potiphar's house, not a believer. Potiphar's house was what, church? Was blessed. Because of who? Because of Joseph. Yeah. What about Abraham? God was going to destroy Sodom. Abraham comes to God and says, God, if there's 50 righteous people in the city, can you spare the city? God says, yeah, totally. I will spare the city for 50 righteous people. Abraham's like, ah, I don't know if we're going to find 50. So 40, God. How about 40? God's like, yeah, I'll spare it for 40. Ah, that's going to be hard-pressed to find 40. 30? Yeah, I'll save the city for 30 people. <laughs> hey, God, I'm back. One more. Uh, uh, 20. I will save it for 20. He gets them down to what? 10. God, will you spare the city for 10 righteous people? God says, God is willing to be merciful for 10 righteous people in that city. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that incredible? The mercy of our God. The mercy of our God. That sometimes households are blessed because of one person. Listen, I want to just encourage you today. If you're here and your husband's not here, your wife's not here, I just want to say, listen, you have no idea how your faith is blessing your household. You have no idea how your prayers are shaping his life. I know you may not see it physically. I know, husband, you may not see it in your wife's life, but I promise you, your children are blessed because one of you is following the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Let's continue in verse number 15. If the unbeliever leaves, so if you're married to an unbeliever and they, they walk out, let it be so, Paul says. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife? Here's, here's Paul's point. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? How do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? He says, you never know. what it, Your husband might be saved. Your wife might be saved. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. Just as God has called them, this is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Let me just say this. Here's what we discover from Scripture, that marriage is a sacred bond, okay? Marriage is a sacred bond. It's broken in adultery. It's broken in death, of course. Um, and when the unbelieving party walks out, abandonment or desertion, as 1 Corinthians 7 shows us, if you are a believer and your spouse is not, again, let me just say you have no idea. You have no idea how you are blessing your family. You have no idea how your daughter, she's blessed. Well, what about the other daughter who doesn't believe? You keep praying for her. It's going to rub off. That faith, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna, it may take a while. You have no idea. Keep praying. Keep loving. Keep on showing grace and compassion you have no idea how your prayers are shaping that family. Keep pursuing the Lord with the same zeal, if not more, in your own personal life. Continue to be the example. No one comes to church with me, Pastor. Keep coming yourself. Hey, anybody want to come? No? All right. I'll ask again next week, okay? We're going to go to the end of the chapter to save time. Verse number 32 some instructions for singleness and for married, marrieds. 
I would like you to be free from concern, he says. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about what? The affairs of the world, how he can please his wife. Naturally, of course, right, church? His interests are divided, and they should be. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim, is, her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world. How she can what? Please her husband as she should be concerned about those things. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in the right way in undivided devotion in or to the Lord. We're going to wrap up things right now, and as I close, um, I want to say a few things, and then I want our prayer team, I want to pray over marriages this morning, so we're going to bless marriages. Uh, if you want to come up, just a quick prayer over your marriage, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, we'd love to pray for you. If your marriage is, marriage is in shambles, we want to pray for you. If you're divorced, you're hurting. We want to pray for you. Come alongside of you this morning. Let me just say that divorce is never God's choice. We, I think it's pretty clear from Scripture. But we live in a broken world, and it happens. The hardness of heart happens. People cheat on their spouses. Can it be forgiven? 100%. Trust, on the other hand, can take a long time. Trust is something that takes years to build, but it can be broken in one moment. So if you broke trust in your marriage, listen, it's not impossible. It just, it will take time. Well, he's not trusting me. It won't take five days. It will take, it may take another few years for you to gain his trust if you cheated. Vice versa, it doesn't matter who cheated. Can you survive? Can you move forward? You can. There's grace. There's forgiveness. God can soften hearts. Absolutely. There's your kids. They're looking towards you. Marriage is are being attacked more than ever in our culture, more so in the church, I think, than any place ever. Let me just say this. The problem with our culture is that our culture has made sex into God. This is why some single people are just so frantic about trying to find someone in. Paul says singleness is a gift. So leverage it. When you make sex your God, you will do whatever it takes to worship that God. God is, God can only be God, not sex. So if you're single here this morning, I want to just say it's a gift. So leverage it to serve the Lord. You don't have a family. You may not have kids right now. or maybe You may have kids. I don't know your, your scenario. But there are many distractions that you have when you're married. And there's, those are good distractions. Okay, but I can't just be gone 24 hours a day for my wife and kids. Like it just doesn't work that way. I have to take care of a wife and kids at home. I can't just go, I'm going to do ministry and then let my wife suffer. That's what Paul's saying. He says, if you're married, you got to take care of one another. You got to be home. You got to be attentive. You got to love. You got to be present. You can't just go off and do it. Live like a single person. Paul says, that won't work. The marriage will end. And then you're, you're going to be tempted to sleep with someone else because that's what we do. We don't have any control, Paul says. So listen. If you're single, though, if you are single, listen. Leverage it to serve the Lord. Go on mission trips. Go across the globe. Risk your life for the gospel. Why? Because it doesn't matter if you die. Well, it doesn't matter if you die, but... <laughs> that came out wrong. Whoops. I bought a scooter last summer. Not a moped, but a scooter. I bought it for myself for Father's Day. So my wife's like, can you get a helmet, really? I'm like, honey, it's 16 miles an hour. She's like, all right. She's like, and she's always like, can you? and I haven't gotten a helmet yet. She's like, would you just get a helmet? I'm like, I want it to go faster. Would you just get a helmet? She's like, remember, you got kids at home and a wife who loves you. I'm like, okay, it's the guilt trip, all right. It's the idea that I can't just live my life the way I want to live. I can't just do whatever. I can't just do Marco. It's not, that's not how it works. I'm married. I'm married, I got a response. I'm responsible to my children. Responsible to caring for my wife, being present, right? And so listen, but if you're single, leverage it to serve the Lord. Watch what he'll do through you. It's a special season for you. There's a, it's a gift to be single. 
It's a gift to be married. Both are gifts. Both are gifts. Here's what I want to do. Prayer team, go ahead and come on up. And we're going to close right now. I want you to, I'm going to dismiss in a few moments. We're going to hang around. New to Radiant, we're going to be a little late, just so you know. I want to bless marriages. We did it in first service. Married couples, right and left, coming up to us. I want to bless marriages today. We're just going to pray a blessing over you. We're going to get your names. Pray a blessing over you, and then you can go. It's not going to be long. If you're hurting, we'll stay a little bit longer with you. Don't worry about that. Okay, we'll do ministry. James is going to play for, James, about five, six more minutes at least. Okay? If you're engaged and you're like, man, we're being tempted, come on up. We'll pray for you. I'll say, hey, if you're living together, you know, cut it out. <laughs> All right? We're going we're gonna to challenge you. We're going to bless you today. Wherever you're at, honor God with your body, okay? Wherever you're at in life. This is Paul's words. This is our encouragement to you. We want to pray for marriages today. As goes the family, goes society. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for these words that we have read from the Apostle Paul. And although I know some of these words may have stung just a bit, some of these words may have triggered some emotions, God, I realize that. And yet, Father, I am responsible in the eyes of Jesus to preach the whole counsel of God. So, Father, I pray that rather than this stinging or hurting people, I pray it would be a warm blanket. I pray for marriages today within our church. I pray that you might rekindle the flame in marriages. I pray that hearts would be turned back to another. If there was infidelity, I pray for grace. I pray for forgiveness. I pray for husbands to come back to wives and wives to come back to husbands. I pray that bitterness and resentment would all fall to the ground. In Jesus' name, bitterness be gone. Resentment be gone. Unforgiveness, be gone. You may have still, you're may, maybe you're still holding on to bitterness from what he did eight months ago, from what she did a year and a half ago. Right now, forgiveness just flood into marriages today, Lord, so that children can grow up with both a, a, a mommy and a daddy loving and serving God. So children, listen, will stay together. Families can stay together and worship Jesus, that Jesus will be God, not sex. Nothing else in our culture, nothing else is more important. Not sports, not entertainment, nothing is more important than our families following Jesus. And God made our church have marriages built on the solid rock, on the solid rock. God, I contend for marriages today. My brothers, my sisters who are hurting, who've been divorced, God, God, would you heal hearts today? Heal hearts, mend together the shattered pieces of their lives, God. We want to pray for them and encourage them today. Father, do a work by your spirit. We'll be here all day if that's what it takes. If that's what it takes, we'll be here all day. Lord, would you mend hearts today? In Jesus' name, we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Clap your hands for the King this morning.